Amen. Thank you, Tommy. The King is coming. Amen. Looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. There seems to be a lot of things going on that suggest that that's more so than we ever thought and what's going on around the world and what's going on in a lot of different ways. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm like Apostle John, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Take your Bibles, if you will. Let's look together in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to begin in chapter 4 tonight. Uh, we're going to look at understanding uh, God's leaders. You know, everyone who is a believer is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer, we all will stand. A lot of people think because you're a Christian, somehow you're going to escape judgment. Well, we're going to escape what the Bible refers to in the book of Revelation as the great white throne judgment, because that's a judgment for sinners. But what every believer will do is stand before Jesus and give an account of his or her life. And so as we look at the Bible, we understand that uh, James, for example, in chapter 3, verse 1, warns that for those who take on positions of leadership, for teachers and pastors and others, uh, if they take on positions of leadership, they need to be very careful of what they're doing and, and why they're doing it because we will be judged more strictly. We actually have a different standard by which uh, we will be judged by than just your average, and I hate to use that word because I don't mean that anybody's average, but, but the fact that there's those who are in places of leadership in the kingdom of God and in the church of God who will be judged in a different standard than everyone else. There's just a, there's, that's something that's stated clearly in the Bible, uh, and it's something that certainly will be true. So let's look together because um, uh, Paul is dealing with problems in the Corinthian church, and as I've told you before, they were a they were a marvel and a mess. They were a marvel, at the, first off, that the, somehow or another these people not only had found the grace of God, but somehow were, were capable of doing some things, but incapable of doing other things because of what they were doing. And so the, Paul was trying to put this church back on the right road, trying to correct a lot of the problems they were having. And, uh, and so one of the things that he addressed in chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 6, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was understanding the role that their leaders played. Because they were talking about following Paul. They were talking about following Apollos. They were talking about following Peter. Uh, they had, uh, I think, Paul understood the wrong sense of, of how you deal with God's servants. How do you, do with, how you deal with God's servant leaders? So this passage of Scripture helps us with that. Kind of reminds me of the um, thing I read a while back on, on uh, Kimbrell art museum that's in Fort Worth, Texas, that, uh, you know, they display a great many beautiful paintings. I've never been there, but I read that they have and, and was reading about it. And, but apparently one of the paintings in this museum is an oil canvas that was actually painted by Rembrandt back in the 1600s. And, and the painting's entitled Portrait of a Young Jew. Uh, besides, beside that painting is a plaque that reads, and here's, I'm just going to give you the quote, Few artists are as well-known and appreciated in our day as Rembrandt Van Rijen. Yet at age 57, when he placed his signature on this picture, Rembrandt was seen by many of his contemporaries as an archaic painter of outmoded tradition. <laughs> and yet today he's heralded as one of the great artists of all time. Think about that. Rembrandt's critics said his painting was old-fashioned, his style was out of date, and yet the name of his critics, we don't even know today. But three centuries later, the name Rembrandt is known around the world. 
should give you some perspective in terms of what it is when God's leaders and, and people who take positions of leadership in a church and in the kingdom of God, they do face criticism and they're misunderstood and, and the Apostle Paul was experiencing this, uh, but he knew that not only in his day, but for churches yet to come, there would be people in ministry who would have unique positions to fill and there would face all manner of misunderstanding, particularly when it came to criticism. Often the details are not clear to either the minister or the congregation, all the role that the minister must play, but, but it can lead to issues, it can lead to conflicts. It did in Paul's day, it does today. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the things I hope and pray that we can do as we look at this passage together is have a better understanding of what role that God's leaders have and, and how we can better pray uh, for them, how we can hold them up uh, to the Lord, but also not to hold them in less regard than we should, but not hold them in more regard than we should. There's a, there's a balance that has to be played out here, and Paul addresses that. So let's look together at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. One should think about us this way, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now what is sought in stewards is that one be found faithful. So for me it is a minor matter that I am judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not acquitted because of this. The one who judges me is the Lord. So then do not judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of hearts. Then each will receive recognition from God. I have applied these things to myself and Apollos because of you, brothers and sisters, so that through us you may learn not to go beyond what is written, so that none of you will be puffed up in any favor of the one against the other. Let's pray. Fathers, we examine this passage of Scripture. We praise you and thank you, first, that you are who you are. Lord, also, we praise you for all that you have done, especially, Lord, for what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus. And just as we sang just a moment ago, and as we heard played just a moment ago, that you're coming again. We we marvel, Lord, at all those things that you have done, are doing, and will do for those who love you. But Lord, in these days when we serve you in the church, we know, Lord, that many times there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of things that are judged and criticized, and Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul faced those things, he knew others would as well in ministry, and Lord, he gives us those words inspired of your Holy Spirit so that we may understand how to treat one another, how to look at each other, and Lord, also to understand the roles that are played. So Lord, I pray that even tonight, it'll be your Holy Spirit, it'll be our teacher, our guide, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding, and Lord, allow us to understand that which you would have us to do, each one of us, in the role that you want us to play in your kingdom work. Have your will in your way in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at this passage of Scripture, and Paul is talking about himself. He says, one should think about us this way. <laughs> well, you know, when Paul says, this is how you ought to think about us, we already know that God 
is speaking through the Apostle Paul on how to have an understanding about God's servant leaders. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, let's look at several things together. First off, notice the privilege of ministry that Paul reveals here. Paul's revealing what it is to be a a servant of the Lord and a steward of the mysteries of God. Let's look at both of those for a moment. He says that you ought to look at us as servants of Christ. Now, what does that mean? That could be translated ministers of Christ, servants of Christ. It actually comes from a Greek word, huperetis, which means under the rower. Uh, it's one, and there's three things here basically that Paul is saying here when he talks about one who is a servant uh, of Christ, one who is a minister. Not, this is not the same word that you find in other places where Paul calls himself a doulos, a bond slave. But here he's talking about somebody who's under order, somebody who's having to carry out work. And so first off, uh, Paul's saying here by using this, this Greek word and saying that he's a servant of Christ, he's talking about he is one who applies the commands of Christ in his life and presents them to others as well. So this is why the Apostle Paul speaks about sometimes about, I command you, I tell you, you must do this. These are things that God has said. And, and, and when Paul was speaking, while Paul wasn't a pope, he wasn't speaking ex cathedra, yet the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, quite oftentimes, both in his writings and undoubtedly in his preaching and everything else that he was doing, he was applying that which he understood from Christ was his orders and what to do, and also what it was that the church needed to do, what he needed to be, what the church needed to be. So, so we have, uh, first off, uh, Paul saying, I am uh, one who applies Christ's orders. He's also one who assists in the actions of Jesus, one who assists Christ's actions. And so we find that the Apostle Paul is doing the very same things that Jesus did. He's ministering to people the same way that Jesus ministered. He's preaching the same things about the kingdom that Jesus preached. In fact, quite oftentimes he would remind them, these are the words of our Lord. These are the things that God said. And, and this is the things that Jesus said when he was on the earth. And so when Paul is speaking, quite often he is referring back to what he knows from the Old Testament, what he knows from the words of Jesus, but he's also assisting in what Jesus himself did in ministry. So Paul is, is under orders. He's a, he's a, he's a servant of Christ not only in applying what it is that Jesus has told him to do, what the church needs to do, but assisting what Jesus wants him to do and what the Lord wants his church to do, the work of the church. And there's a third thing real quickly. As a servant, as a minister of Christ, as a huperetus, one who is under orders and under a rower, one who administers the affairs of Jesus. In other words, all the things that uh, belong to Christ, Paul has been entrusted with looking after. Now that means his church. Why? Because the church belongs to Jesus. We just looked at that uh, just a few weeks ago, that they, are, they belong to Christ. And because they belong to Christ, they've been bought with a price. Paul understands that the people he's ministering to, they're not his, they're, they belong to Jesus. And the church belongs to Jesus. And Paul recognized that he himself belonged to Jesus. So he sees himself as a servant of Christ in the role in which he is applying what Jesus has said to apply. He's assisting in what Jesus said to do. He's administering the affairs of Jesus with regards to the church, the kingdom, and even in people's lives to help them to grow. In discipleship, in teaching, and, and encouraging, and, and all these other things. So, so Paul is first and foremost, he says, 
How should you think about us? Well, think of us in terms of servants of Christ. This is the role we have to play. We've been told by the Lord, this is what you're to do. We've been told by the Lord, this is how you're to act, how you're to live, how you're to carry out my, my commands, and, and you are to oversee my affairs. But then there's the second part of this. How should you think about us as servants of Christ, but also stewards of the mysteries of God? Now, that's another Greek word here that Paul uses of himself, oikonomos, which means the manager of a household. This was a, this was a household steward. This was somebody who had charge over the household of his master or his, the owner, and he was to oversee all the owner's affairs. And Jesus used parables to talk about such people who were to manage the affairs of the owner, of the person who owned whatever it was that was being managed. And so Paul says, not only am I, and you were to think of me and Apollos and Peter and others as servants of Christ, ministers of Christ, but stewards of these mysteries. Now, what kind of mysteries are we talking about? Well, actually, the New Testament speaks of several kinds of ministries, and several of them are, are mentioned by the Apostle Paul. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, told the disciples that to them only, not to others, but to them, had been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. In other words, the mysteries of the kingdom were to be given to those who would follow Jesus, who would believe in Him, trust in Him, and walk with Him in faith. And that is true of every Christian, but it is particularly true of those who are trying to help people understand and see these various mysteries. So there's the mystery of divine truth, the secrets of the kingdom, uh, which Jesus spoke about, but he's also to manage the mystery of the divine purpose. In Romans chapter 16, in verse 25, Paul's talking about uh, preaching the gospel and the mystery that is uh, uh, accompanying this as, as he works to serve the divine purpose for which he had been called. Paul had been called to a specific purpose. It was to preach the gospel in all the world. And he was to take it primarily to the Gentiles. Now everywhere he went, he went to the Jew first. He went to the synagogue. After he had received all the, the uh, <clears throat> response he was going to receive, then he would move into the, into the marketplace. He'd move out into the people called Gentiles. Why? Because that was... He was performing and he understood the mystery of the divine purpose and that was for the gospel to go into all the world, for the church to be born and be birthed in all these different places. And so, and so as Paul went, he understood this mystery that he was to carry forth and carry out. He was also a manager of the mystery of the divine promise. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we move later into this very same letter in, in verse 51, and Paul is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about uh, how important it is to believe in the resurrection, how some people were discounting that. And you can't discount the resurrection of Jesus without discounting the resurrection of the saints. You can't discount all of these things that God has put together. But one of the things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that mystery of the resurrection of the saints when all of a sudden in a twinkling of an eye and at a trumpet blast we're all changed. Paul called that a mystery. It's a mystery because we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour, and all these people that always try to predict the day and hour have always, well, they end up with egg on their face. But it's a great mystery that Paul had been given to proclaim. 
this wonderful mystery of what God was about to do, what he was going to do, and an unspecified time in the future when the Lord would come and there would be a change that would take place over the saints. And, and uh, he said, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So, so Paul is managing the mystery of divine truth, that is the secrets of the kingdom, as all followers of Jesus were to do. He's managing the mystery of the divine purpose of the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. He's managing the mystery of the divine promise, which has to do with what God has in store for those who love him in terms of the resurrection. He's also managing the mystery of divine principle. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, he speaks of another mystery. He talks about marriage. He talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. But then he makes this statement. He says, but I'm really speaking about the mystery of Christ and his church. He's saying, I'm, I'm, what I'm sharing with you is just a model, it's a picture. But what I'm really talking to you about is what the Lord intends to have in terms of a relationship with his people, with his church. So Paul was managing the mystery of the divine principle, and then he's also managing the mystery of divine power. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he speaks of yet another mystery, and it has to do with the power of the gospel to save and the power of the gospel to reach into the Gentiles and all that was taking place. So again... I've said all that, it's a very quick thing that I just said, but all to, and, and, and bring it all together, <clears throat> Paul says, how should you think about us as servants of Christ who is applying the orders of Jesus and, and making sure his actions are carried out and ministering his affairs, but also look at us as stewards over the household of God, but particularly with regards to the mysteries, the mysteries of God. And folks, that's just as true today as it ever has been. I know it's a, it's a fearful thing for somebody who is a teacher in a class or a pastor of a church or whatever role that a person plays in leadership and even in, with discipleship, even in, in discipling somebody. We, we have been given this, this, this uh, privilege of ministry, of being a servant of the Lord, but also a, a, a steward, a, a manager of the mysteries of God. And to make those mysteries known. Well, there's a second thing here Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture that I want to point out to you. And that is not just the privileges of ministry and how they should be understood in regards to God's servant leaders, but also the pressures of ministry. See, Paul goes right into it. He says, so for me, it's a minor matter that I'm judged by you. What does that mean? Well, they've been judging him. <laughs> Paul says, you know what? I've heard your criticisms. I know you've judged me in certain matters in certain ways. And I hate, to, I hate to say it the way I think Paul intended, but he said, I really don't care. <laughs> he says, it's a small matter. <laughs> he said, with me, yes, it's important that people hear. It's important that people understand. But when people misunderstand me, when they misunderstand my role, when they're judging me, Paul says, it's a minor matter that I'm judged by you or even any human court. In other words, it wasn't just about individual criticism, about people who were coming together and bringing a, a group pressure, if you will, and say, we, 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 we don't think you're doing right. We don't think you're preaching the right thing. We don't think you're handling this the right way. And the bottom line is, when it's all said and done, Paul says, there are pressures in ministry. There are congregational pressures, which he's talking about here with members of the church and and, uh, you know, there can't, there, as, as a pastor, I can just tell you, and I know that this has been true of other ministers. I know it's been true of other teachers and other people who take leadership positions in the church. But when congregational pressures come, they usually come in three different ways. 
They usually come as a matter of manipulation. That is to say, they're trying to uh, control and manipulate and tie the, 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 lead, the servant leader's hands in some way to prevent them from going in directions they don't want to go, and they're preventing them from going uh, in, in doing things they don't necessarily think they ought to do. But it's also adulation. You know, one of the ways that people can, can uh, apply pressure is, is swelling the preacher's head, swelling the teacher's head. Uh, you know, there, there's such a thing as flattery that, that Paul warned against, others warned against. It's a, it's, it's a way of manipulation, but it's, it's a way of just getting somebody to, to basically get on your side because you've just heaped up praise after praise after praise on them that may not necessarily be true. But nevertheless, it is a pressure that congregations put on God's servant leaders. Manipulation, adulation, but also antagonism. There are some people in churches who, when it's all said and done, they just find a way to break the hearts of God's servants. And this is what Paul is referring to here when he talks about being judged. He says there are pressures of ministry. There's going to be those congregational pressures. But also societal pressures. You know that in the ministry there are people outside the church that judge. There, uh, there are a lot of popular demands right now being placed upon churches. There are things that they're saying the church should be, the church should do. And I've read so many articles, I've read so many things about what people think the church ought to do who are lost people, who don't understand what a church is or what it should do. They have some idea of what it should be. They have some idea of what it should do. But folks, God has told us who we are and what we should do. But yet too many listen to the pressures of society. We're facing that in our church, churches today. What society thinks is what many churches have succumbed to because they've succumbed to popular demands. They are subscribing to popular opinion, and they're not reading and listening and obeying the Word of God. But again, that's coming because of society's pressures upon God's servant leaders. So it's individuals, congregational pressures, society has its pressures. But Paul says there's a, yet another pressure here. Look what he says. In fact, I do not even judge myself. You know, one of the great pressures that can come upon a, on a servant leader of God is that they judge themselves wrongly. A couple of things that I've observed in ministry there's the danger of chronic introspection, that is to say, just constantly looking inside of one person to, to try to figure out some things, and, and, and sometimes there is inappropriate introspection that a, that a minister, a servant leader, uh, somebody who's been called to serve the Lord can do to, to judge themselves. And, and not only uh, introspection, but unrealistic expectations. There are people who put on themselves unrealistic expectations. My wife's not in here. She'll probably kill me. That's all right. Won't be the first time that I've said something. But, you know, when we were in college, I was studying. I was working hard, and I was trying to make the best grades I could. But if I got a B, I'd be like, yes. If Suzanne got an A, she was highly disappointed. She wasn't looking for an A. She was looking for an A+. She's looking for the extra credit. She was looking for perfection, and I love that about her. But when you've been married to somebody, now this will be our 40th year who's doing that, that can be an issue. 
because you're married to somebody who doesn't have that kind of personal pressure. But listen to me. Paul said, I don't do this to myself because there is danger of introspection. There is danger of unrealistic expectations. Personal pressures can be just as difficult to navigate in the ministry as any other pressure there is. I would say that in most of the pastors I've known, most of the ministers I've known, uh, staff people, anyone you want to name, even Sunday school teachers, Brother Wally, I just, you know, they'll, they'll just be down on themselves. They just don't think they can do this. They don't think they can do that. They're not worthy of this. They, whatever it is, you know, deacons have done this. Other servant leaders have done this. Folks, we need to understand none of us deserve God's grace. But it is a gift. And we need to be careful how we see ourselves, not to see ourselves uh, in an unrealistic way where we have expectations of ourselves that we could never fulfill, never accomplish, and always making ourselves feel bad about ourselves. And we don't need that introspection which causes us to stop doing what God has called us to do, and that is reach beyond ourselves and be the ministers of recon reconciliation, be the ministers of God's grace, and extend what God has given to us to others. Well, that's the pressures of ministry. We, Paul's talked about the privileges of ministry. He's talked about the pressures of ministry. But let's look at the perspectives. So Paul says in verse 3, it's a minor thing that I'm judged by you or any other court. I don't even judge myself. So how do you, how do you negotiate ministry as a servant leader? How do you deal with being a teacher? How do you deal with being a deacon? How do you deal with being a, a leader of a ministry? How do you deal with being a pastor? What do you, how do you deal with all these different roles that we play in the kingdom of God? Well, First off, we need to discount much of that congregational pressure as much as we can. Why? Because we need to understand that God's people are limited in their understanding. And that's true of all of us. I stand here tonight to tell you I'm limited in my understanding. We all have limitations of our understanding of everything. We're not God. We can't see everything. We can't know everything. Therefore, we're always going to be limited in our understanding. And so Paul says discount it because... People are limited in their understanding. They, and you know, one of the things I've learned in churches and ministry is people are very subjective in their outlook. What do I mean by that? We see things through the eyes of our own personal preferences, our own personal opinions, our own personal experiences. We see everything through those eyes. And it's hard sometimes to see it the way God sees it. Paul's just saying, look, <laughs> you may see me one way, but I don't even look at myself in that way. We need to understand that one of the ways that you and I can be more effective in ministry, serve the Lord better, and one of the ways we can pray for one another, pray for those in leadership, is to pray that they're able to discount much of the con congregational pressure that seems to come to God's leaders in ministry because they're limited in understanding, subjective in their outlook, and usually more emotional than rational in their judgment. I've discovered that as well among God's people. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. They're just more emotional than rational when it comes to many things. Again, that's the difference. My wife's a great compliment to me. She's more emotional. She talks about how she feels, and, and I feel this way, and I feel that way. And I'm over here like Spock saying, what are you talking about? 
To me, it's black and white, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, it's what it is, it's what was actually said, not how it was said, not what you felt was said. You know, when you think about it, that's true in the church. A lot of times what happens in the church is the way people deal with each other is that they're, they're not discounting the congregational pressure because they're not really realizing how more emotional people are than rational when it comes to the judgment. Another perspective of ministry not just discounting congregational pressure, but discounting the personal pressure. Again, why? Because I know this of myself. I'm not capable of an accurate evaluation. Not some terribly long ago, I took this, uh, this uh, survey thing about uh, my emotional quotient, or whatever they call that thing, my EQ. Well, it reveals some things about me. I wouldn't have seen that about myself because... I don't look at myself that way. But they ask all these questions, and by the time you answer all them questions, you're just glad to get through it. But they have a way of looking at those questions and say, oh, we know what kind of person you are. My kids did this to me. My, my son, Caleb, when he was going in social work, he had one of his classes, he had to do a thing on, on personality tests. And I was like, oh, I'm good with that. I know exactly what my personality is. Well, they gave me this thing, and it didn't come out like a lion, an otter, or, or golden retriever, or, or whatever. It came out with this very complicated way of describing the person. So I had answered all these questions. It all got thrown into the quote, the, the mix, so to speak, of how it came out. And then they read off what kind of person I was, and every one of my kids said, nailed. <laughs> it nailed you. It was almost foolproof of what my personality type was like. In fact, I learned some things about me there. Why? Because... I'm not capable of an accurate evaluation of myself. So I have to discontinue, and I mean discount much of the congregational pressure, but also discontinue much, much of my own personal pressure because I recognize that I'm not capable of an accurate evaluation. In fact, I'm incapable of it. And the second thing, and I think this is what the Apostle Paul was saying more than anything, it's counterproductive. When you get right down to it, it's counterproductive. And then Paul tells us what really matters. Let's look at that as we get ready to close. The, pre the privileges of ministry, the pressures of ministry, the perspective of ministry. And he says, discover the divine pressure. The perspective of ministry is discounting the things that need to be discounted, but discover the joy of divine pressure. You say, whoa, what is that? Well, Paul tells us. Let's look at that again. It says, For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not acquitted because of this. In other words, he's saying, I'm not able to accurately evaluate myself. I can't do an accurate evaluation. So Paul says, even though I don't think I've done anything worthy of the judgments or the criticisms, he's saying, but I, I can't really accurately judge this. But here's what he says. The one who judges me is the Lord. And then he goes on to say, wait until the Lord, so don't judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, reveal the motives of heart, and then each will receive recognition from God. So, so what is the divine pressure? Well, first to know that it is the Lord is the one who judges, and yes, we all will stand before the Lord. <laughs> to me, that should be pressure enough to be faithful. 
That should be pressure enough to do what we've been told to do. That should be pressure enough to examine ourselves in the light of the Word of God and God's will and God's revealed specific purpose and plan for our life and to know that the only one who really matters about us and the opinion of us is the Lord. So again, we got a lot of people today who are worried about what other people think about them outside the church. And then they're worried about what people inside the church think about them. And then they're worried about what they themselves think about themselves. And Paul is saying, you know, there may be a place for some of this, but when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters is the judgment of the Lord. Paul says, this is where I'm at. How should you think about us? Think about us as servants. Think about us as stewards of the mysteries of God. And then recognize that because of what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we're doing it for, that all these different judgments, all these different pressures that are being applied to us, when it's all said and done, it's the Lord whose pressure we pay attention to. Because the Bible here says he'll expose those things in the dark. He'll examine even the heart, that means the motivation. And he will exalt those things that are magnificent in our lives. Those things that are worthy. Those things that the Lord is pleased with. So when it's all said and done, whatever role you play in the kingdom, whatever leadership position you take, whatever role you play, whatever uh, position or job or whatever you do, the Bible says, do as unto the Lord. But also understand this, there's a great privilege of serving the Lord. And there's even a pleasure in doing that. But you have to be willing to only listen to the divine pressure and know that that, more than anything else, is what will matter when it's all said and done. Listen, this life is very short. And the criticisms you and I take in this life and the judgments that we endure in this life and everything else, it's extremely brief. And it will not last. But what will last will be the judgment of Christ upon our life forever. And the only thing that really matters to our God is faithfulness. See, again, I go back to this passage of Scripture And when I look at this, it says, Now what is sought in stewards is that one be found faithful. The world crowns success. You've heard me say this before. But the Lord crowns faithfulness. He doesn't look to see how better you're doing this than someone else. The Lord does not sit there and worry about the The results, because the Lord is the one who has given the results. Remember, it was Paul who planted, Apollos who watered, but God gave the increase. But you and I are to be faithful so that what we do and that the Lord does through us will bear fruit. It will cause growth in our life. It will cause growth in other people's life. It will result in growth, but it will be God who will be doing that But our role is not to be concerned with what God is going to do because that's what God does. Our role is just to be faithful. This is true in witnessing. People say, well, I'm afraid I'll mess up if I tell somebody about Jesus. You can't mess up unless you're telling something false, (laughs) something unbiblical. But if you just tell them about Jesus, tell them what your life was like before you met Jesus, tell them how you met Jesus, tell them what Jesus did after you got saved, after you met him, you just share your witness 
use some scripture that you've learned to be able to share and walk them through how they can be saved. Listen, it's the Holy Spirit's going to take over. What, watch this all these last two years with three things God cannot do. <laughs> I mean, it's a marvel. Everybody said, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. And you can do that on a one-to-one basis with people you're around. You can, you can share Jesus. Because when it's all said and done, all the Lord's called us to do is be faithful. Will everybody come to know Jesus? No. Same thing is true about stewardship. Same thing is true about just about any aspect of any area of your walk with the Lord. What the Lord is looking from us is not the success, but the faithfulness. And this is where a lot of people get um, catacornered or whatever you want to call it. because they, they, they get all twisted up with trying to please others. They get all twisted up with trying to succumb to all these different pressures. They put pressures on themselves, pressures coming from without. But the bottom line is they're striving for something they're not even capable of doing. Only the Lord can do this. So the pleasures of ministry, real quick. They're those who are trying to understand and grow in the church. I live for that. As a pastor, every time I see somebody growing in the Lord, every time I see somebody... Uh, reaching out and becoming what God wants them to be, whether it's going in ministry, going into missions, sharing Jesus, whatever it is in their life, I watch them and they're doing these things. It's a marvel. It's what keeps you going. It's what encourages you. When you see those folks who, who are trying to understand, who are trying to grow in the Lord, when you see those who are committed to undergirding the work of God, however that is, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through giving, whether it's through serving, whether it's through going, whatever it is, they're willing to do whatever it takes for the work of God, the will of God to be carried out. They're, they're, they're undergirding everything. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. To me, that's one of the greatest pleasures of ministry I have. <laughs> and then there are those who just refuse to undercut God's work and God's leaders. You see, when it's all said and done, Paul said, do not judge anything before the time. Because you see, when it's all said and done, there will always be those in the church who, who will be faithful to the work, be faithful to the leadership of God's people, be faithful to whatever it is that needs to be done, and they won't under, undercut the work of God. They'll undergird it. What a blessing throughout my ministry that I've had all kinds of different people in the church, but particularly I've had those unique and special individuals who are so caught up with the work of God that they're willing to do and will do anything and everything they can for God's work to go forward, for there to be success in the church in terms of what the mission is, what we need to do. So tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray that as you're working with people, as you're ministering to all types of people, and yes, that will bring sometimes criticism, sometimes that will bring discontent, sometimes that's going to bring all these other judgments that may come. It's just part of human nature. I've accepted that a long time ago. That's just the way people are. The main thing is knowing who you serve, why you serve, and how to serve, and know that ultimately it's the Lord that we must please and who we will give an account to. And if you keep that right, all the pressures of ministry will disappear.
May God help us to be, as Paul said, that which is required of servants, that which is required of stewards, to be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. As, Lord, we close the service tonight, I, I know, Lord, that uh, as we examine this, Paul was concerned about how he was being understood, how others serving with him were understood. And, and Lord, those same concerns are today. But, Lord, I just pray that as we examine this scripture in light of our own lives, in light of what we're doing, why we're doing it, the pressures that we've succumbed to or listening to, the perspectives that we have regarding ministry, Lord, that our eyes will be just simply attuned to you and focused on you so that, Lord, we'll understand that ultimately it is you whom we need to please. It is you who ultimately will do the right thing in judgment. And, Lord, that as we serve you, to know that all you're requiring of us is to be found faithful. So, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us tonight to recommit ourselves to the work that is at hand, to the ministry, to the mission, to all that we need to do in terms of personal growth and discipleship, but also in terms of discipling and, and evangelizing others and doing the things that need to be done to undergird the work of this church. Have your will in your way, Lord, as you speak and as we respond in faith and obedience to what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing hymn invitation. Brother Tommy, if you'll lead us, please.